Did you know that over one-third of the world's workforce freelances at least part-time? As freelancing becomes more popular, you may be considering giving the freelance style a shot. This week on the podcast, we're giving you an introduction to freelancing, from establishing your rates and building your portfolio, to finding your first freelance client and managing the project. We close with some final tips, including how to avoid scope creep and how to take time off as a freelancer. Let's dig in. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. AWS Amplify is a suite of tools and services that enables developers to build full-stack serverless and cloud-based web and mobile apps using their framework or technology of choice on the front end. Using Amplify, you can quickly get up and running with things like hosting, authentication, managed GraphQL, serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, and storage for files like images, videos, and PDFs. Amplify is built especially in a way to enable traditionally front-end developers like myself to be successful because they can use their existing skill set to build real-world full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. The Amplify console then allows you to use a GitHub repository to deploy a globally available CDN with CI and CD built in. You can learn more about building applications with Amplify at awsamplify.info slash ladybug. Again, that's awsamplify.info slash ladybug. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, Before we dig into the meat of this, let's just talk about freelancing at a high level. So what exactly is freelancing? I think freelancing is when people pay you to do things. But when you're not working for somebody else, you're still working for yourself. You're the boss. That's an important distinction. I like it. Random question as we're starting off because it's relevant. What's the difference between consulting and freelancing? That's a good question. Um, I see consulting as being more of providing some kind of guidance. You can still do the work, but there's more of a strategic level to it. Um, I see people who call themselves a freelance consultant. So you can be both, but I think consulting is like a specific kind of freelancing. Okay. Like a a Venn diagram or something, because my little brain can't handle this right now. Yeah, because I feel like I see like a hot take on Twitter sometimes that's like, instead of calling yourself a freelancer, you should call yourself a consultant because you can charge eight times more or something like that. And it's like, I don't get it. (laughs) It's, that's not, I mean... You can be, if you want to be a consultant, again, you're doing a lot more strategy work there and not necessarily doing the implementation. And, you know, speaking on the development side of freelancing, a lot of people want to freelance as a developer because they want to actually do cool development work and take on fun projects and take on, get that extra money. So I enjoy being a consultant now, but at first I wanted to actually do that. Can I ask a very important question? Why isn't it called paid lancing? You know what? I think about tweeting that probably three times a week. I would like it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Okay. It'd be funny. But Kelly, I think it's important for you to maybe dive into your history with freelancing for those listening who don't know who you are. That's a good idea. So my name is Kelly. Um, I, Hi, Kelly. <laughs> I, I, hello. Uh, so I, I taught myself, I started learning how to code when I was 11, um, thanks to Neopets. And I actually took on my first freelance website project when I was 14 years old. And it was a family friend who owned a hunting supplies business and he, they had zero web presence. And so they needed a website and my dad, uh, connected us and, 
long story short, I don't remember exactly how the whole process went for signing them on and actually doing the work, but they had a website at the end of it. And then I was paid a t-shirt. I mean, it counts. Really? It's technically, you know, I've been, I feel like I've been doing more like bartering lately on like, oh, let's just do some kind of like skill trade for some specific things that I just want in my life. Um, We had somebody make us some end tables for our house because we have like an awkward sized uh, living room or family room. And he does like these wooden knife blocks in like wooden cutting boards that are beautiful. And they don't have a website. So I'm like, so I can build you a website. And he's like, how much is it going to be? I'm like, how about one of those cutting boards? Yeah, bartering. <laughs> It'll be easy enough. It's, it's something you can do. So basically, I started freelancing when I was 14 years old. Um, freelanced off and on through high school, through undergrad, through grad school, and continued freelancing when I had my first quote-unquote real job, um, which was a fellowship at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which I only lasted nine months there before I finally started freelancing full-time. Oh, I thought you were going to say before you got sick and like had to... I mean, a CDC, that's what they're... Yes. Was, I only last nine months before. Yeah. I, and then you trailed off a little bit. But anyway, um, I actually do have a question, which is, do you need to do freelancing full-time to be considered a freelancer? No. You can take on one project a year and still call yourself a freelancer. It doesn't really matter. If you're if you're doing any any amount of work on the side that's not your full-time job, you can call yourself a freelancer. And I can speak to that a little bit. Actually, earlier this year, I was doing a lot of content as on a freelance basis. And so, I don't know. I can, I can chime in with thoughts on yeah. that. Yeah. No, but I think that's a really important distinction as well is, is people think that you have to do what you do on a daily basis as freelancing. Like, there are so many different things you can call your, like do as, as you call yourself a freelancer. I mean, obviously, development is an important part of that since, you know, based on generally who's listening to this podcast, that's what they're doing. But, I mean, you could be freelance, you know, as you said, like content strategist, editor, uh, social media strategist, email marketer. Um, you could do freelance accounting on the side, freelance transcription work. I guess he can be a freelance magician. I mean, literally anything, as long as you're doing the work on the side, it counts. That's super exciting. It sounds like there are a lot of benefits to freelancing. There are a lot of benefits to freelancing. Was that not the smoothest segue you've ever heard? That was beautiful. So I think the first one that we often think of is you get to call the shots. You get to be your own boss. So you get to choose what work you bring in. You get to choose how much you're going to charge for it. And you're going to get to choose when you actually get to do the work. So, you know, if you only want to, if you want to freelance full time, but technically full time to you is working only 20 hours a week, then by all means, I mean, that's exactly what you can do. Um, of course, the extra income on the side is is nice as well. Um, whether you're, I, I know I spend a lot of time moonlighting. So working in the evenings and working on the weekends to build up a freelance portfolio while I was working at CDC so I can eventually go full time and also during undergrad and grad school, since I kind of did have to go to classes during the week. Um, and then also just breaking outside of the, the the typical nine to five schedule that we all tend to work in. Again, you get to choose your own schedule and work when you want, um, as long as you're upfront about when you're going to actually be working when you're communicating with clients. So lots of benefits. Anything I'm missing? I think that last one is huge for a lot of people of the ability to have more flexibility and working remote. I mean, this year, I think most tech workers are remote. I don't. And so 
you have total control over what you do and when you work and where you work. So I think that's big. Like I am used to be kind of a digital nomad and I would say probably the majority of the people in those communities are freelancers. To a certain extent, you might be allowed to have more creativity depending upon what type of freelancing you're doing. So for example, at least this is my perception, but if people are contracting you or hiring you to create logos or high fidelity designs and there aren't a lot of design constraints, you could be very creative in that sense. You're not constrained by design principles or brand identity of a company that you're working for. Um, That could also be a negative because potentially you might have less creativity if the client has strict restrictions. Um, But additionally, on the benefit side, you get to meet a lot of new people and um, networking. I think that's a really great side effect. Um, You also can potentially be more picky about who you work with. So if there's someone being an absolute jerk to keep this PG, um, you have potentially the ability to say you don't want to work with them if you can afford that. And as you build up your portfolio and you get more leads coming in, that is definitely a huge benefit of getting to, you know, really be a little bit more, a little pickier about who you, who you work with. Um, once you, once you start freelancing regularly, there is going to come a time where you're going to have to fire a client and it's never easy, but there's a, like, the freedom to be able to say no, or this isn't working out and cut off that relationship if it's toxic is really powerful, something you can do as a freelancer that you really don't have the option to do when you're working for somebody else. It's mo- kind of like dating a little bit. Yeah. Every, every free, I mean, every freelance gig you do is technically a relationship. So that, wow, that you're counts. just, you're just, I don't even, I can't even make like a, da- a dating I'm joke. what? <laughs> I can't even, you're just swimming around trying to find your permanent home, although your permanent home is your freelancing company that you've built. So you do you. It's late on a it's a late on a weekday. Give me a break. My brain's a little fried. I forgive you. So let's talk about establishing your rates. This is one of the most popular questions I get from people. How much can I charge? And the answer that everybody hates is it depends. It varies. It varies on a number of factors. It varies on your experience. It, it's based on what your actual work, what work you're actually doing. A virtual assistant is going to charge something different from a, you know, a, a backend developer, whatever it might be. Um, it depends. I don't remember what was the first thing I said. Your experience. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> it is not late here. I have no excuse. I. It, it also depends on your region. Um, different, different regions charge differently. You know, what you're going to see charged in the Philippines is going to be different from what you see charged in, say, New York City. It's just the nature of cost of living and and general uh, cultural differences in work, for sure. Um, So yeah, I mean, all of these things come come into play when you're establishing your rates. But I think that doesn't answer the question about how much should I actually charge. So I have this calculation that I like doing. Um, It's going to be interesting trying to do this over a podcast. So we're going to give it a shot. But basically, to kind of give you the the overview, you first determine how much you'd like to make per year freelancing. So let's say you want to make $10,000. We're going to use that number. And then you add in any expenses you're going to incur as a freelancer. This includes credit credit card transaction fees, co-working membership, any kind of equipment you need to do your work, whatever it might be. Add all, add all those expenses up and write that number down. And then you're going to divide this number by the number of billable hours you'll freelance per year. This is an important distinction here because not every hour you work is going to be billable. 
You're going to have administrative tasks, marketing, communicating with potential clients, putting together uh, contracts and invoices, presenting the proposals, all of those things. You're not getting paid for it. So I like to say it's going to take up that administrative work is going to take up maybe about 25% of your time. So we're going to go under the assumption that 75% of the time that you're working is actually going to be billable. So to put some numbers to this, uh, let's say I want to make $10,000 for my first full year of freelancing. I'm going to estimate my expenses to be $2,000. Why not? I want to freelance approximately five hours a week. So it's very much part-time kind of thing for 48 weeks out of the year. I'm not going to work every single week freelancing. So five times 48 is 240 hours. Then you need to remove 25% of those hours because of Bill of, because they're not billable. And so you end up with 180 hours. And then you divide $12,000, which is 10,000, but you want to make plus $2,000 for your expenses divided by 180 hours. And you end up with something like $67 per hour. Like I said, not a really easy thing to do over a podcast. Well, that's but... my question, Kelly. Is there like a book or a blog post that people can reference <laughs> if they would like a visual? Um, there's a a pretty decent book in the market that I would say it's called Start Freelancing Today. Um, it's by somebody named Kelly Vaughn. I see it has five out of five stars on Amazon. Yeah, it does. I finally got my first review on Amazon. Yeah. And it wasn't negative. That's That's pretty great. Just relish that. That was like my biggest fear is like the one review that I have on Amazon is like a (sighs) one-star review. So I'm really glad that it didn't happen. Well, we'll see how the rest of this episode goes. Uh, but you're being pretty nice to me right now. (laughs) Oh, thanks. So this all sounds really great. I now know that I should be charging $800 an hour. Um, what's the next step <laughs> towards... <laughs> I think I see you decided to do consulting according to that tweet that, uh, that referenced. <laughs> uh, what's the next step once I have established my rates? So one of the important things for any freelancer to do is have a website, which means it's time to build your portfolio if you don't have one yet. I think we've done an episode on establishing your personal brand, and we talk about having a website. Yes. Actually, wait, did we have a portfolio episode? I think we do. I think we've had a portfolio episode, too. Well, if we do, we'll link it. Yeah, I'm almost sure we do. So on the freelance side, I think there are five important pages to include on here. Uh, the first one's an about page. Who are you? This is this is important as a freelancer. It actually, well, as an agency as well, but... Who like people want to know who they're actually going to be working with, who they're entrusting their business with to actually deliver on this work. So I like to add a little bit of personality in there to showcase who you actually are as a person, as opposed to just being like, I am a developer, because there are a lot of people who can say that. So have a little fun with it. Um, work examples. So having a portfolio of actual work that you can show off. If you don't have previous client work to show off, add some projects in there that you just did for fun. I mean, as long as somebody can see the type of work that you can do and it aligns with the work that you're trying to find as a freelancer, that's a really good place to start just so there's some kind of work example there. A contact form, kind of important so people know how to get in touch with you. Make it as easy as possible. Um, Include an email address on there. If you can do an actual form, that'd be beneficial. Um, Some people want to include a phone number on there. It is entirely up to you. I do not give my phone number out to any clients ever, 
nobody has my phone number. So don't feel obligated to do that. Um, we have all of our, our meetings with potential clients and active clients on Zoom. So there is no there's no giving out my phone number whatsoever. Well, if anyone listening wants Kelly's phone number, just DM me. <laughs> oh, okay. I see how this <laughs> is going to be. There's software out there that you can purchase to get a business phone, whether mm-hmm. that's like Skype business or... We can actually do it for free. Oh, well, Google Voice. Oh, okay, cool. Didn't know that. Um, I just use my personal number for everything. (laughs) Um, But I highly recommend getting one of those if you're going to go into a business where people need to be able to contact you. Also, there are, I mean, there are a lot of softwares out there to help you do things like that. Another cool one is Grasshopper. To get to get a second number, this I was is a gonna, paid one. I was going to mention that because I worked at Log Me In and we acquired Grasshopper. They're part of our. I saw that on the logo <laughs> organization, and I thought it was the coolest product. But I think we, I think they got rid of it. And it still exists. Oh well, maybe they unmerged it. <laughs> maybe they had a merge conflict. <laughs> <sighs> that was bad. But I forgive you. Um, no, uh, Grasshopper is cool because you can actually get an 800 number. So it adds like an extra level of leg- legitimacy there. But also at the same time, totally not necessary as a freelancer to have an 800 number. So just want to make that clear unless you just want one. I mainly like to put in because, you know, like people do like um, the only one I can think of off the, off the top of my head is the Jenny Craig the weight loss. They're all co- commercials. That was like one 897 Jenny where you can have like say a word. And so I like to just like pop in, see which words are actually available as a one 800 number still. Oh, that's so funny. Do you collect them like domain names? I, I don't <laughs> because that's, uh, they're a little bit more expensive than a $12 a year domain name, unfortunately. But like, I would love to have like one 800 grilled cheese or like something totally random. That's so funny. I feel like it's a little bit less used though now. It is. You just like Google a phone number instead of having to type it from scratch. Yeah, it's just kind of fun. I, it, yeah, actually, that's a good point. Like whenever I visit a, a website and it's like 1-800 and then like words, I'm like, no, I want the actual number. Yeah, so. but it, definitely there was a time where this was a big, big deal. That was a trend. Yeah, or like commercials, their little jingles about their phone numbers pretty funny can we think of any to sing to put in the outro i will find one and i'll sing it for the credits later so if you're a diehard listener you'll have to wait till the credits to hear me sing a jingle also there's the company that's called 1-800-Flowers that's also their phone number (laughs) yeah yeah i do urban stems for a lot of birthdays and such Ooh, that's cool yeah i recently became a plant mom myself oh I can't keep them alive. I saw a tweet the other day that was like basil plants are the easiest ones to keep alive. And I was like, oh, no, I, I've killed like three basil plants. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm hoping for the best here. I went from having zero plants to having seven. Um, Whoa. I thought I was buying five. I accidentally bought six and I received seven. Oh, my goodness. So here we are. I'm still figuring out their names. I guess that makes me a bad plant mom that I don't have names for them yet. But we'll get there. I hope they're still alive. I like to call my plants that I don't own after astrologers or philosophers, but like replacing their name with plants. So like Copernicus instead of Copernicus. <laughs> I had another I one. Like, funny, yeah. But any, in any case, we're not talking about plants. Yes. We're also talking about things that you should put on your website. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can put your plants on there. That'd be a fun page. That would be a really fun page. That's right. Mine would just be Talk a bunch about of personality. It would be a plant graveyard. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, I think one that, that so depressing. Uh, both of you can actually speak to is having a blog. The importance of having a blog on your own personal site. Yeah, it brings a lot of traffic, gets a lot of eyes on things, and then they click on other things. And um, I used to have a work with me page on there. Actually, I think it's still up, but I don't use it because <laughs> I don't <laughs> really freelance much anymore. But it's just a page like on my website with all of my different rates and services that I would offer and to make it as easy as possible because most of my gigs were like very short term. And so having standardized upfront numbers that were on there and expectations of what services I did and when they could expect them and the runway that I needed was really helpful for making it a much more like sustainable and scalable thing. It's cool. It's like you almost like productized the services that you're offering. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about ways to find your first client because I think this is the other really big question is cool, I have a rate or I've established my rate, but who is actually going to pay it? Kind of important to find an actual client. So let's talk about different ways that you can market your services first. Um, I think actually this is kind of funny. Um, one of the ones that I mentioned in my book is is cold emailing or going door to door. And I actually got an email today from my old uh, neighbor who used to live across the street who somehow came across my site being like, I used to live across the street from Kelly. I want you to build us a store. So that was kind of cool. Apparently it can work, but going like the cold emailing is going to be one of the most difficult ways to sell a service. 100% because the, the client is not necessarily feeling the need, like they need it in the first place. So there are definitely cold leads that are going to be much more difficult to convert. One of the best places you can go to find work is social media. And I actually got one of my first big freelance gigs via Twitter from somebody who tweeted that they have too much work and they just need a freelancer to kind of help them get through it. And that work turned into more work, which turned into me finding my first Shopify project, which turned into me becoming a Shopify partner and then expert, and which turned into me eventually starting the tap room. So I have one tweet to thank for my entire... I'm kidding. Yeah. Totally kidding. I have one tweet to thank for my entire career, basically. I think that's um, super cool. I want to also call, like, there's a right way to look for jobs on social media, and there's a wrong way. I get a lot of, I feel like anytime I post a tweet, someone in the hidden replies will just be like, Do you need me to build you a website? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Okay, <laughs> here's my Fiverr link. Yeah, one, look in my bio, but two, like, this tweet was about my cat. Like, you're not even going to the right place. And to be honest, they get marked as spam. Um, so you definitely need to look for people in need when you are trying to market on social media. Um, but Fiverr is also, Kelly had mentioned Fiverr, is a great place. We actually commissioned our logo and I think custom music through Fiverr, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yep. It does take a while to get pretty notable reviews on Fiverr, but you know what? Ask your friends and family to like book you for a small fee in the beginning, like get their feedback. Like you don't have to start with complete strangers, like go to people closest to you, get feedback from them. Um, obviously make it legit, right? Like don't just have them leave like fake reviews for you, but you can start with people closest to you. And then once you have a backlog of work to show, um, it'll bring in more traffic. Yeah. Everyone knows somebody who knows somebody who needs a website or needs a logo or whatever it is that you do. So definitely use your network. And that's also talking about the social media path is 
networking is really important when it comes to being a freelancer and informing relationships with other people so they can learn that this is actually a, a, a service that you offer. Um, I think that's one of the things that's that's really helped me as I've built up my own personal brand as a freelancer is when people are like, I need a Shopify developer, people think of me. And so they suggest my name. And, and creating those kinds of relationships with people to associate you with the freelance work that you want to do will help you find new, new leads as well and potentially new clients um, by expanding your network and using that network to your advantage. Um, LinkedIn, I hate to say it, is actually a really good source for finding new work as well. I found multiple jobs on there, not as a freelancer, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you can sort through some of the the, um, garbage. garbage. Uh, But Kelly had a really funny tweet about that the other day about changing the first thing in your name to an emoji or or something. An emoji. Yeah. So I actually saw that on a post on LinkedIn and then I did it. And then... uh, first thing that happened. So a lot of people use automation tools to connect with you or reach out to you via like the LinkedIn messages. And it picks up that emoji when they use those automation tools. So you know when it's not somebody who's genuinely reaching out to you, that they're just like using some kind of tool to like blast multiple connection requests and stuff with people. So I posted that on Twitter and it got more attention than I was expecting. And it was it was one of those things where it started on LinkedIn and then I posted it on Twitter, and then somebody took a screenshot and posted that on LinkedIn, and then it, my tweet was on LinkedIn at some point. But um, kind of going back to LinkedIn in general, there are two things that you can do. One, um, show subject matter expertise. So make useful posts kind of showing off your knowledge, like free free nuggets of information. People see those and they're like, oh, this is, it kind of goes along with your blog, like sharing your blog posts and things like that to, to uh, show off your expertise. The second one is post case studies, post the work that you've been doing. I actually just got a lead from somebody who found a post that I made on LinkedIn about a project that we had just launched who wants something similar now just because I posted about that project on LinkedIn. So it's a really good way to, again, people can see you literally just did the work. So they believe that you can do the work for them as well. That point of giving stuff away for free is so invaluable because people think that you shouldn't, like, I don't know, subconsciously, I feel like people think you shouldn't be giving things away if you're trying to make money. Giving things away for free is one of the quickest ways to make money because the people can exactly. see your quality and they see that you've also got a backlog of work that they can already reference. It'll suck them in and they'll be more willing to pay. Yeah, for sure. So let's kind of dig in a little bit more detail about actually closing the deal, like sealing the deal on your first client. So you found somebody and you've started corresponding with them. The first thing that's most important to remember is that you have to stay on top of these communications and you have to be quick to reply. I've lost leads because I waited three business days to respond to them because other people got to it more faster. I've closed deals, like really, to me, significantly sized deals, because as soon as that email came in, I'm like, oh, this is something that I want. I'm going to respond to it immediately. Um, And as a result, that showing that I am eager to work with them actually convinced them that they want to work with me. So that's really cool. Um, Also, I really recommend creating a questionnaire. And I would break the questionnaire down into into three parts, because you want to make sure you're asking the correct kind of questions. First type of question are qualifying questions. These are going to be whether or not the client is a good fit for your services and whether you are a good fit for the client. Types of questions they're going to ask. 
how high of a priority is this project for you? If it's not a very high priority for them, it generally means that they're going to be slower to respond and you might have trouble keeping the project at a reasonable pace. And that could be money that's just kind of hanging out that you're waiting on. Um, When is the deadline for completing the work? Do they have a reasonable deadline? Are they asking for a full website to be done by the end of the week? I mean, maybe you can do it depending on what they're looking for. Maybe it's just a single page website with the, I don't know, the word hello, um, which is totally possible. But make sure that their deadline's reasonable. And if if they don't know what their a reasonable deadline is, tell them like what is actually possible for you to do in a certain amount of time. If they say ASAP pushback, keep on getting some kind of actual date from them because Everyone has a different idea of what ASAP means. I've seen somebody said, oh, I want it as soon as possible. And they're like kind of going on in the conversation. They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, we're looking to launch something by June 2021. I'm like, we have very different definitions of what ASAP is, but I digress. Um, And then lastly, what is the budget for the project? Are they within the like, are they looking to have a website built for $500 or are they looking to have a website built for $5,000 or, you know, more, of course, um, make sure that they can afford your services. And this is the question that a lot of people like to avoid. It's kind of similar to like when you're going through a job interview and they ask you how much you're looking for in a salary, you're not supposed to actually tell them it, when it's a freelance relationship, you don't want to waste anybody's time. You don't want to waste their time. You don't want to waste your time. Everyone has a number in mind. If you say, okay, well, we're, I'm thinking this this might cost anywhere between $5,000 and $100,000. And you're like, oh, I can't pay $100,000. You're like, okay, well, we've started somewhere. So now let's back it up to $50,000 or whatever it might be. But basically just keep on, keep on working back to a certain number or provide some kind of range saying products tend to start at this rate or I require a, our, our minimum project engagement is this. Just so you have some kind of established budget there. Um, because that's one of the biggest reasons why people tend to or clients tend to drop off is because they don't have any they don't actually have the money they spent to spend on the project on the work. The second kind of question is scoping questions. So this is going to be really the meat of the uh, the questionnaire. Um, actually understanding what the scope of work is, what is going to be what the, what work you're actually going to be doing. So you'll want to ask what current challenges they're facing. Um, this is important because. Uh, Clients will tend to tell you what they need from you without under, without telling you the why. And there are going to be many occasions where once you kind of dig into, well, why are you looking for this particular thing? And they tell you, they're completely off base as to what it is that they actually need to solve their problem. So ask them what current challenges they're facing. Ask them what success looks like to them. So again, you can align on what the end goal actually is because nobody likes getting to the end of a project and finding out that it was not at all what they were looking for. And then lastly, if you actually need anything from them to get started on the project, ask when they're going to be prepared to hand this information over because these are the types of things that will throw the project off schedule when it turns out that they don't actually have the content ready for their website or anything like that. When you actually need that information to, it becomes a blocker and need to have that information to move on the project. Uh, The last kind of question is closing questions. So how soon do you plan to make a decision on this project? And when will you be ready to begin this work? So we're often talking to clients now who are preparing for starting in January 2021. This is important for us to know while we're lining up work now because we want to make sure that we're leaving time in our schedule now versus in January 
so you can kind of plan out your schedule accordingly, especially when you're freelancing part-time and you only have so much time available in the day. That sounds really awesome. And all of this is in Kelly's book. So if you're interested in winning a copy, stay tuned to the end of this episode because we will be giving one away. <laughs> no, but for real, I mean, I was I read it before it was published. I wrote the foreword for it, I believe. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, and I was blown away, like not because I had low expectations, because obviously, like <laughs> Kelly's built an Thank entire you. business off of this. Um, but just the quality was much more granular than I had anticipated. Like, I didn't realize there was so much involved with freelancing. So um, highly recommend checking out her book. And there's also going to be an audiobook too. There is an audiobook already released now, which is really fun reading your foreword in the audiobook because I'm like, Kelly is such a wonderful person. Why didn't you make me read it? Because I recorded... No. (laughs) There's usually only one person reading the book. Fair enough. Even, yeah, I mean, I guess I technically could have, and it would have been a little bit less awkward for me to talk about how great my book is and how great of a person I am, but that's what Twitter's Well, for. since we're vibing, oh, I was going to say, let's talk about proposals, but we kind of just, I mean, we touched on the questionnaire, which kind of just, I mean, that's, that was that kind of the same thing as a proposal or is that different? It's not. So the questionnaire helps you build the proposal. The questionnaire gets you the questions you are, the, the answers to the questions you need, so you can actually put together the proposal to send over to the the the, the lead to see if it's within their budget, within their time, whatever. Um, so there are four parts to the proposal that I like to always include. The first one's an executive summary. So based on your conversation that you just had with the lead, um, you should be able to generally understand the background. So overall or arching view, overarching view of what they're actually looking for, the problem that they're facing and how you're going to solve the problem. So this is it's like a one page thing. It's usually like 250 words tops for me. It's not super long. Uh, the project overview is where you go into more details about how you're actually going to solve the problem. Um, this again is going to be the bulk of what your your proposal is. And then you go into the price breakdown. So you have a couple options for how you're going to show the pricing. You can do just flat project-based pricing. So this project is going to cost $10,000 flat. Um, you can do hourly-based pricing. I estimate this project is going to take us approximately 40 hours to do, and our hourly rate is $75 an hour. Or Okay, those are the two primary options. Um, When it comes to project-based pricing, though, you can either say, like, this is $30,000 flat, whatever, um, or you can kind of break it down a little bit more. So there are three components to this project. The first one is $10,000, the second one's $15,000, and the third one is $5,000 for a total of $30,000. Did that math out right? I don't think... Yeah, maybe it did. Just pretend it did. I think it did. Yeah, just go with it. Okay. Um, I need to stop throwing numbers out here because I can't do math in my head very quickly. We're not mathematicians. We're not. I have a computer for a reason. Point being, you clients want to know where their money is going. They want to know why they're spending a certain amount of money. However, it's a delicate balance between here is what your project is going to cost versus here is a menu of items that you have to choose from on a proposal and you can pick and choose what you want. Um, you don't want the client to just kind of pick apart the proposal. Uh, an important thing when you're kind of going into the negotiation as well is to remember if a client is asking for a lower price, ask what's going to be removed from the scope of work. You always should be removing something if you're decreasing the price. Otherwise, you're devaluing yourself. That's a really good point. Yeah. Wouldn't have thought about it's that. It's a 
and it's easy to kind of fall into the trap of being like, oh, yeah, I can just drop the price by 10, 10% or whatever. Um, don't devalue yourself. Your, your rates are your rates for a reason. I mean, you should absolutely charge what you're worth. Um, and then include next steps. What are the, what's the next step that the client should be taking? Did they sign the proposal? Did they schedule a call with you? Um, do you need to send them a contract or an invoice, whatever it might be to get started? Make sure it's very, very crystal clear what those next steps are. For sure. So I have my proposal. You've accepted my proposal. I need to now make you pay. <laughs> that sounds so cynical. To make you pay. Talk to me about invoicing. I... I've actually had to create invoices for, I guess, technically it was freelance work for conferences or something else. and Like speaking gigs are. Yeah. And so I just used QuickBooks, um, which I thought I found that very intuitive. Was it QuickBooks or FreshBooks? I don't know. There are a lot of book softwares. Um, There are. But like, do you have a preferred platform for creating invoices and what needs to be on there and stuff like that? Yeah, so I I use FreshBooks. I've used FreshBooks for six years now, something like that, a while. Um, it's very similar to QuickBooks. It's just different. Different again. There are a lot of books platforms. There's there are a lot of invoicing solutions out there. Um, in terms of what you want to include on there, of course, the cost of the work. If it's broken down into uh, certain payments, like do like scheduled due dates, make sure it's very clear when those payments are due. And also, just the general payment terms is is fifty percent due upfront prior to doing any work. Is all is one hundred percent due upfront. Um, if it's a speaking gig, sometimes I see a fifty percent deposit and then a fifty percent uh like remaining the week prior to the speaking gig i mean you come up with your own terms um and i think it's also important to touch on contracts as well so this is a very cultural thing um some countries don't do written contracts sometimes it's just simply like a handshake that 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 seals the deal for the work so it's important to look at what is standard in your region for having some kind of contract in place, but you want to make sure you're protecting yourself. So if somebody is, if, if somebody says they're going to be paying you $1,000 to do the work, you want to make sure that if you do the work, you're going to receive that $1,000. So just make sure you're outlining how you're actually going to be receiving those payments. When. Well, quick point about this, because in one of our, like two episodes ago, we talked about cross-cultural communication. One mm-hmm. of the scales discussed in the book, The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer is about trust. And I don't know if we touched on that in our podcast episode, but essentially this all comes down to, like, this is exactly what we're talking about. Like in a lot of cultures, so in the U.S., for example, you have the backing of the government or the law or the court to enforce these contracts. But in other cultures, like if you're selling purses in Lagos, Nigeria, for example, um, you don't necessarily have the same type of reliance on the court system. And often it's all about your personal relationships or your effective trust with another person. So if you're interested in learn- learning more about how cultures trust and how that impacts business, um, I highly recommend the culture map. The, yeah, that's a great one. I think, it, well, I mean, it's, it's important in any any kind of line of work of understanding cultural differences, especially when you're we were working across cultures. Um, also listen to that podcast episode if you uh, if you have not. So let's dig into the project management process a little bit because it's important to make sure you know how you're doing the work, when you're doing the work, how you're going to be communicating with the clients as you're working through the project, and how you're going to close it out. Um, first off, a very important thing to touch on is scope creep. And this is a very, very, very common thing to happen when there's not proper planning or proper boundaries uh, established 
for a given project. So scope creep is when uh, the scope of work changes at some point during the pro- uh, during the project. Maybe something is added to the project. Maybe something was not originally working as planned, so you need to kind of shift it. Or maybe you are the result of your own scope creep in that you built something. You're like, well, I think I probably could have done that a little bit better. And then you rebuild it. Clients are not paying you to do the work twice. That's really true. Like if they want it done twice, they have to pay for it. Exactly. So don't be a victim of your own scope creep. Um, So one of the things that I always like to say when somebody asks for something new that's not in the scope of work, if they ask me like, hey, can we do this on the website? I'll be like, sure. Would you like me to provide an estimate for that? That's so passive aggressively smart. It's not passive aggressive (laughs) at all. It's just like a nice way to say it. Yeah. So there are going to be three three potential responses there. One, yes, please provide me an estimate. So cool. You just got some extra money potentially out of the project. Uh, Two is, oh, I didn't realize there'd be an extra cost for it. No, thank you. Okay. You didn't waste your time doing it. Or three, I didn't realize this wasn't included in the scope of work. And that's that number three that you need to be careful about because that means that there's a misalignment in what is actually included in the scope of work on the project. So when that happens, schedule a call with the client and make sure you two are you you're on the same page as far as what you're actually going to be doing for them and what's not included. It happens. It doesn't necessarily mean that you did anything wrong. Some people just forget what was actually included in the project. It happens more often than I would like to admit. Um, but it is a necessary thing that you're going to have, you're going to encounter as a freelancer. This is where I don't know if I could be a freelancer because these types of things, I'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever you want, I'll do it. <laughs> it's actually, and it's very, very, very common for developers specifically to just agree because there's just this, this mindset where somebody presents something to us and we see it as a challenge that we can take on. And so we want to yeah, do it. Like, What if it's something small? Like, I would like this link to be point to this URL and not this one. It's like, okay, my estimate, what would I even estimate that at? Like $2? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, in that case, like give it a judgment call. If it's literally something small, that's going to take you a few seconds or like a minute to do, do it. I mean, it's, it's not going to harm anything. Um, if somebody is like, can we replace the content on this page when it's in your agreement that says you are not doing the content or you're only going to do it once? You can say no, or you can say, I'm going to do this one time as a courtesy, but moving forward, it's going to cost this, or I will teach you how to do it. Oh, that's so smart. So again, I mean, it is all of these things when it comes to scope creep, it's entirely a judgment call. But just remember, like when you give an inch, a client is going to take a mile because they see the door is now open for them to ask for more things. So you need to establish those boundaries early on. And speaking of boundaries, this kind of leads into talking about some difficult client situations. Um, One of my most common difficult client types is the needy client, which is the one that is constantly sending you messages, not in the way that you want to actually be corresponding with them. Let's say you're using a project management solution, which we'll dig into momentarily, such as Basecamp, and they keep on emailing you. You have to keep on enforcing those boundaries saying, I'm not going to respond to this email. Please correspond via Basecamp or please send this message via Basecamp or whatever it might be. If they're reaching out to you in the evenings and you only work during regular working hours, wait until the next day to respond to that email or respond to wherever it is. Reason being, clients learn when you're going to respond to your emails based on when you actually do. So if you establish those boundaries, you have to respect your own boundaries and not 
reply to client emails at 10 p.m. on a Friday when you have zero intention of doing any work at that time. That's why another reason I couldn't be a freelancer. I'm so inconsistent. But I just had a side note, which was if you ever wanted to go TikTok viral, just make like one of those personality types of client videos, like 12 clients, you'll meet the you'll hate or like (laughs) just saying. That's a great idea. I'm not opposed to it. Um, you're also going to find clients who you're going to work on the pro- you're going to be actively working in the project and you realize there's just a personality clash. Like you're just not getting along. And it happens that sometimes these things that's why you do the questionnaire and why you have the initial phone call to try to pick up at any kind of red flags that might present. Um, but you're not always going to catch them all. So an important thing to learn how to do is how to end a client relationship early if it needs to. Um, one of the questions I often can get... We, can we role play that conversation? Because like this is something, if I had to end a relationship with a client, I don't think I would know how to start. So like, can we pretend that like Allie or I are a bad client? Pretend you're firing both of us. Like if we were just really bad and we were like, hey, Kelly... Um, I actually need you to migrate our Squarespace site into a new Squarespace site, um, but all the colors are inverted. <laughs> um, okay, that's a very good question. That's a good question. Yeah, I've not, that's a really difficult one to actually role play like that. I think one of the more common situ- like scenarios you're going to encounter is um, a client just refuses to respect your boundaries or they're literally just being a jerk. Again, keeping this PG, I have had people say some really nasty things to me um, in in client calls. And I think I've I've mentioned these before in the past. Um, I've, like, I've had clients be like, I'm not paying you for your opinion. I'm paying for you to do the work. And I'm the expert here and they hired me to be an expert. So I think, I mean, approach it gracefully. Remember, this is still a professional relationship, even if the person's again, a jerk. Um, but just let them know, like, you know, you've been giving this some thought and I don't think that we're the best or I'm the best fit for you. Make sure you're clear about how you're going to actually close out that, that relationship. Um, if there are any outstanding deliverables, if you're going to be delivering them, if you're going to be providing any kind of refund, again, it is entirely up to you to whether you're not, whether or not you want to provide a refund. Um, I sometimes will give back some of the money, I will sometimes refund refund in full just because I don't want to deal with them ever again. It is just it's it's a judgment call based on how bad that situation is. But make sure you stay cordial because you never know who they know. Mm. You never know if they're going to like by burning that bridge if it's going to burn other opportunities for you because they're going to speak poorly of you. You can you can't control what other people say about you, but you can kind of set yourself up to try to avoid those kinds of scenarios from occurring. That's a good point. So I actually do have a script that you can use. Um, This is in my book. Um, So basically, email just says, this is not an easy decision to make, but after careful consideration, I've decided it's best if we part ways and discontinue my work on this project. I will officially terminate our relationship on and then specify the date. Again, you want to be very specific in this email. Until then, I will be finishing my work on the following items and make sure you list out any final deliverables. I know this can be an inconvenience, so I would like to offer a referral to help you finish up this work. I will make a separate introduction in another email. To that last point, if they are not a good person, don't feel obligated to refer them to somebody else. If it's just not a good fit for you, 
then by all means, help out another freelancer who who can take on that work. I pass work to other freelancers all the time just because they're the client's not a good fit for us for mm-hmm. one reason or the other. Um, I mean, to give a specific example, recently um, we wanted we had a client who wanted to do who wanted to us to do all of the in-house work, design, development, content, SEO, everything. And as we continue to work on the project, we could not align on the design. And it was so much back and forth to the point where it was just like, it was becoming a burden for our designer to never guess what actually needed to be done, what the client was looking for. So I sent a very similar email to this one, just basically saying, you know, I'm, I'm concerned at the direction this project is taking. If uh, so, moving forward, you're you're about to have to top up on hours again since they were on a certain retainer. Um, if you want to continue working with us, we are going to need to remove the design part of the proposal or out of, of the scope of work out of the scope of work. Um, if you would rather keep everything in house, I'd be happy to refer you to somebody else. So, everyone kind of reacts differently to it. I <laughs> we actually have a. Uh, loss. So we use CRM to keep track of our leads that come in and out. And we have a loss reason as fragile ego, just based on some the way some people respond. Um, we've gotten some really nasty emails from people in the past. Other people will respond be like, okay, I appreciate your honesty. Yeah, I would love a, love a referral to somebody else. You know, it's it's going to vary from from one person to the next. But it's a very difficult situation to navigate. The most important thing to remember is that you need to you need to remain professional. You need to remain cordial. They might lash out at you. Remember, this is only temporary. Yeah, I think that's nice that you included a script. Actually, if our editor could add some really sad violin music behind her reading it, I think that'd be really uh, a mood. <laughs> um, I hope it happens. So, you know, we've talked a lot about proposals and finding your clients and all of that nature. But once you actually get into a project, what software can you use to manage it? So I've been using Basecamp in particular for many, many, many years now, and I absolutely love it. Um, it's it's really helpful, especially when you start introducing more clients. If you're uh, collaborating with another freelancer, like I, when I was doing freelancing, I would collaborate with another designer because I don't do design work. And so we would be able to communicate with the client under the same spot. So neither of us never both of us were always kept up to date as far as how the communications were going and where the project was going. Um, other options, you can use Trello, you can use Asana. Um, Monday is another uh, uh, project management solution. I'm sure there are others out there, but those were the, those are really the primary ones that I would say. I would recommend uh, starting a free trial for any of these just to see what works best for you. Um, Basecamp actually has a free freelancing plan as well. Oh, that's, yeah, that's true. I got to be honest, not a huge fan of the Basecamp UI. I actually really like Asana a lot for corporate projects. And I like Trello for myself. I have like a personal get your shit together Trello. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, exactly the same Basecamp. I've used it for like Egghead. I think they use Basecamp. And it like kind of throws me <laughs> off, but I like Trello a lot. We use Basecamp for external client communications, Trello for internal communications, and I actually planned my wedding with Asana. So I'm also <laughs> a fan of so Asana. <laughs> Five years ago. Yeah. Yep. We we literally have a Trello board of things that we want to do. It's like, you know, nighttime activities in case we don't have anything planned. Um, That's fun. Places we want to visit, <laughs> restaurants and all that. So, yeah, use Trello for untraditional things, too. That's a great idea. How about 
leaving us with some nice little tidbits of tips for freelancing. Yeah. So first tip, manage your time. As soon as you start introducing additional work into your life, you want to make sure that you're managing your time wisely. So nothing falls through the cracks and you're able to do your work during the day or, you know, whenever you're working, do your freelance work, do all of the fun life things that you would like to do, especially if you have other responsibilities at home, like you're caring for somebody, other people. You just want to make sure that you're managing your time wisely and you're giving yourself time to relax as well instead of just working all the time. Second, taking time off. So this is an important thing because we all need time off and it's easy to fall into the trap as a freelancer and be like, well, if I'm not working, I'm not getting paid. So I need to work all the time. You have to take time off. You will get burned out. And as a freelancer, especially when you're working, especially solo, it can be very isolating and you need time to kind of regroup and give your brain a break. So really important to find time to actually take some time off. You have to, I have to schedule it into my calendar to take time off or else I will always have a meeting on that day. I'm taking this Friday off. So I'm, it's on my calendar, literally marked as busy. So nobody can schedule a call. Really excited. Friday. My team has adopted that now and I freaking hate it. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And lastly, learn to say no. This kind of goes back to the uh, scope creep conversation, but also if a client is just not a good fit, if they're stretching the boundaries of what they're wanting based on what you can do or based on what you want to do, don't be afraid to say no. This is your business. This is your time. Do what you want with it. Um, It is easy to want to say yes to everything that comes in from from the start because you're building your portfolio or whatever, and I get it. But at some point you're going, if you say yes to every single every single opportunity that arises, something's going to come along that you're going to want that you're not going to have the time to do. So if something's not a good fit, say no. It's a it's it's one of the most difficult things to say when it's literally just two letters, but it is important. That is good advice for everything, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Say no. It is life advice. Say no. Yes. Yes, man is a lie. Should we transition into shout outs? Let's, Let's do go. it. Cool. Emma, you want to go first? No. <laughs> um, yes, I will. Um, so I joined this monthly book box club. I don't want to say book club because it's not a book club. I guess it kind of is. It's called the Rare Birds Book Club. And every month they'll send, you get to pick between two different prompts. Like you don't know what the book is actually called or who it's written by. You just see the synopsis. And all of the authors are women authors. And this month they sent me the book, The Foundling, which is super interesting. It takes place in London in like the 1700s. And it's about a woman who like has a baby. And there's this I guess it's kind of an orphanage. It's called The Foundling. And she goes back six years later to take home her daughter and finds that someone else has actually taken her daughter, took her daughter the day after she dropped her off and claimed her as her own and like pretended to be her. And she's like trying to figure out where her daughter is. Very interesting. So I'm recommending the book club as well as the book. (laughs) That's fun. And I love the book club idea. The book club is fun. That scenario is not. So good. How about you, Allie? Mine is weird for me because I don't talk about my personal life very much at all. But I want to shout out my boyfriend, Andrew, because we're doing like partner shout outs this year, it seems like. But he is the best. We actually started dating in high school, which I 
It's very different than a lot of couples, I think, but he is the best. And I could not have gotten through quarantine this year at all without him. We're doing like lots of origami right now, which is very fun. (laughs) He's much better at it than I am and cooking lots. So I want to give him the biggest shout out because he's great. I still haven't met him. He's the only like ladybug boy I haven't met. I yep. say that like there are a bunch of them, but like <laughs> Daniel, I'm, I know Daniel. <laughs> you know Daniel, yes. Yeah, he's like quiet on social media and stuff. We should have a reunion once all this finally winds up. I agree. <laughs> yeah, Being let better. us know what location you want us to come to. I want to go somewhere warm and yeah, maybe. Oh, I'm going to need that. Chicago's like winter already. It's disgusting. It, it was it's honestly negative like, two here today. Oh, uh, that's illegal. Yeah, it's so gray. It's disgusting. Kelly, how about yours? Well, this is probably not going to come as any surprise whatsoever, but Shocker. my shout out this week is my book because we're talking about freelancing. So I wrote a book called Start Freelancing Today. It's available on a website that's called Start Freelancing Today, specifically startfreelancing.today. To be entirely transparent, I named my book Start Freelancing Today because the domain was available. That was my deciding factor. Um, But if you liked this podcast episode, you might enjoy the book because I go into much deeper detail. And it's also available as an audiobook, as Emma mentioned earlier. So... Let's close out on this episode. If you like this episode, tweet about it. We would love to read your feedback. And I am going to give away a free copy of my book if you tweet about it. Uh, We post new podcasts every Monday. So make sure to subscribe to be notified and leave us a review. We'll see you next week. One eight hundred steamer, Stanley steamer makes your home cleaner. One eight hundred safe auto, safe safe auto. They see me scrolling, they hating. 